geez, how much money would someone pay for a round of golf with Tiger Woods a medalist? It's gotta be close to a million dollars. And welcome back to another part train. My name is Evan Singer. We've got Matt Cermak here. I think up, Matt Cermak is fired up and inspired right now. I mean, that's what's great about the show, Ev. I mean, we just had another great, inspiring conversation. I mean, yeah. you can't beat it. No, we just had Eric Sedrans on from Member of a Day. We'll tell you about that. Remember, four day. Before we tell you about that, in case you're new, first of all, welcome. Welcome aboard to the Park Train. Thanks a little bit about us. When you're on the Park Train, golf, the hardest game in the world, feels easy. Well, why is that? That's the mission of our show, to unpack that and understand how things so hard can look so easy so we can do that on and off the course. We have interviews from PJ Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs like Eric today, yep. mental coaches and more. So you'll get the motivation to keep chugging and the tools to enjoy the ride. Uh, before we get to this interview with Eric, I saw from our friends at Roback, they just released, they call it Sunday Red, Tiger oh. uh, Q-Zips to honor Tiger. Um, so if you guys haven't tested Roback, the link is in our show notes and always linked in our social accounts at the par train. Give us a follow if you haven't, um, but get a, get a red Q-zip to honor yeah, Tiger. Mean, if you don't own a red shirt or red Q-zip or a red vest, you're not a Tiger fan. You're not, you know, wow. and, and, and so Calling if you, you don't go to, go to our link, go to Roback, get the red Q-zip or... <laughs> Get off the train. Get off yeah. the park train. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so tap the link, get 15% off. Guys, if you don't like red, uh, Serm's going to kick you off the park train, <laughs> but that's okay. If you don't, if you're not a red guy or gal, there's a bunch of other colors. Um, there's nothing stretchier, softer, and better performing than the rowback apparel. So definitely get yourself something there. Okay. Member for a day. Yes. I mean, what an incredible story. This was a little bit of a different interview for us, but one of, I mean, one of the best, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. Eric's a great guy. He, I think his story is so relatable. We talk about it towards the end that he got laid off, you know, because of COVID and went down out of left New York city, go stay with his mom in Hilton head and came up with this unbelievable company that uses golf to raise they've almost raised a million dollars for charity by letting people like you play the most exclusive courses in the world or with the most amazing people like ken griffey jr uh rick patino jim Beheim. like it's it's incredible what they're doing yeah i mean i think i think you guys you know could really kind of bond on that entrepreneurial mm -hmm. you know journey too right he had a moment where he got laid off in covid and uh it was a reset, right? And this is this is a new area connected to golf, right? I mean, I to, to really kind of humanizing the fundraising process and getting some of the most private clubs in the world, like Shinnecock Hills, to open their doors to you know to um, a a group that donates to a specific charity. Um, this is Eric is super inspiring. I think he's going to do huge things. I think yeah. he's going to be, uh, I almost say a household name, mm -hmm. uh, on this side of the business, we'll call it within the game of golf. So, uh, 
this was a really fun conversation. And these are the kinds of stories that we love on the on the on, on our show on the Par Train because there's so much good things happening out there that connects back to golf, right? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and the one thing I'll leave us with that I didn't get to say to Eric is it's it's almost like we talked about the PJ Tour and how they're they're all about charity, which is great, and we know that you know, the pro-ams raise a lot of money, but the pro-ams are usually like they're bought by companies because they're 20 grand plus per, I don't know if that's per group or even maybe per player. I, I don't know, but it's a lot of money, right? And yeah, I think member for a day could be interesting platform where you and I could play in a pro-am. You and I could play Shinnecock. You and I could play with Ken Griffey Jr., or Chicago Cub of your choice. Like, I think it's a cool, inclusive way for mm -hmm. friends like us to have awesome life experiences, which is what it's all about, and enjoy the ride, but also like give back to charity. And that's, yeah. you know, right. we talk about that in the show and a win-win. I just think uh, this is a really inspiring story. So make sure you listen to the end. Yeah, he's a guy to watch out for. So yeah. really great. But, but right. I've got to remember one thing, right? As what, we sign what do, off. What do we have to remember, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. <laughs> enjoy the ride and subscribe and give us a follow on social media. How about and, that? And tweet and tweet us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, best of health. Take care and uh, enjoy the ride. We'll see you next week. We got to start you off with a little fun question. Um, if you guys don't know about Member for a Day, we'll get into it. It's it's about creating amazing experiences that raise a lot of money for charity. Eric's only been doing this for nine months, um, born out of COVID. We'll talk about it. But I want to know what experience would you create for yourself? Not necessarily for raising money, but if you could create the dream experience that you would take three friends on, what golf experience would you create? Yeah, the first one that comes to mind is the the Sandhills in Nebraska trip. Mm. For some reason, it's been one that I've wanted to do for a really long time. I've like had it planned, then got canceled, then I had it planned again, then COVID. Um, Bally Neal is my favorite golf course I've ever played in my life. And even though it's in Colorado, you know, we, we create lines in this country, but it's basically the same geographic area. So Bally Neal um, mixed with Sandhills, um, Dismal River, and there's a couple other in that area. That's my favorite kind of golf. And I think when you talk about creating the perfect experience with friends, my favorite experiences are where we are totally disconnected. There's hopefully not even self-service. So no one's on their phone, <laughs> no one's Instagramming, nothing. It's just me and the boys and golf. And no like tennis courts or pools, just golf. Um, and that area kind of has that feel. And so that, that's the one that, that immediately comes to mind. Yeah. Sand Hills is a, that's a heavy hitter. I've not been out there, Eric, but my coach, I remember growing up when they first built it, he was taking, taking a private plane out there, got with a bunch of people and, and it was, he said it's, it could be the greatest, the greatest experience I've ever had, you know, in the States, you know, with, with, for the reasons you just pointed out. God. Yeah, I think, I think when, you, when you look at the rankings, you know, a lot of the, the best courses are classic courses and rightfully so they probably are the best, but 
I think a lot of the modern ones, Sandhills being the number one modern course in the country, probably don't get rated quite as high because they don't have the history. They don't, they haven't hosted us opens and yeah. um, other major championships, but yeah, just that whole area. I mean, I, I could wax poetically about Valley Neal. I just had the best time there ever. They got the short course. It's both designed by Tom Doak. It's so natural. There's nothing there but golf and fun. And that's what I'm always looking for. Yeah. So Matt, what's, I, I want each of us to go here. What is okay. your dream golf experience? I, so I'll speak, I guess, internationally. I, I've never been to Ireland. And I come from a big family, Eric, of golfers and brothers and my dad. And that's something we've always talked about. And now that we're older, so I'd love to go to the South, you know, and play La Hinch and Waterville and Valley Bunyan. You know. And I mean, it sounds like maybe you've, you've been. Um, and then, but this is a two-week trip, right? And then just drive up North, right? Maybe see a little bit of Dublin and whatever, but keep going North, keep going North, getting up and playing all this stuff up there. Um, and yeah, just so I, I think it would be from, yeah, it would be Ireland Ave with, with, with the family, two-week trip, but wow. covering the whole country. Yeah, the two that, countries, I should say. That, that's good. Mine was... Uh... I mean, I didn't want to say Augusta National because that's such an easy one to say. <laughs> but to me, it comes down to either playing Augusta or I, to, it's similar to your answer too, Matt. Like when I went to Scotland, I've never had an experience like going to Scotland and I went by myself when I played. So um, going and playing the old course with friends, it's got to be either the old course or Augusta for me. Um, but Eric, before we talk about your story and member for a day, um, give our listeners some context on your game. I think before we talk about the charity work, we need to know what's Eric like as a golfer? We got to start there. Wow. I don't know if anyone's really ever asked me that before. That's and, what we do um, here on the train. <laughs> we want to know, we want to know where your head's at right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's really interesting. I... I think I have this right. I think I've only played six rounds of golf in the past three months. Um, that sounds like a lot to Cermak under ice, <laughs> but that doesn't sound like a lot to me in well, LA. He, I was so. going to say, keep in mind, yeah. I've been in warm areas, right? I've been in Hilton Head and Scottsdale. So that's like, so kind of unheard of. Um, mainly just because we've been so busy. Um, but what's interesting is my game has been really good. And I think it's it's very indicative of this game where it's a game of opposites, where you come in and you're just like, ah, like I haven't played in a while. I'm just going to have fun, like whatever. I don't care about the score. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, man, I'm two under through 15 right now. Like, whoa. Okay. Um, I get it around pretty well. Um, always tinkering with my swing, just trying to find the center of the club face. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – it's weird how I just haven't really played that much, but I've put together some of the best rounds um, of, of the past few years. What's your handicap right now? Handicap's a five. Okay. All right, solid. Simple thoughts. Let's dive in here to your story a little bit. Um, with Member for a Day, I mean, you almost raised a million dollars in what, nine months? And, you know, 
talk about 2020 and COVID and New York City and and uh, give everybody some context. Yeah, how this, totally. all, this all began. Yeah, like I think it's so key in my story to not put the cart before the horse because people are like, "Whoa, million dollars raised!" But like, I, I think it's really key to make sure that people understand, you know, the origin because this was all just started for fun. Um, it's as simple as that. And so, you know, you, you reverse back to beginning of last year, I was running business development for a tech company in New York City, COVID hits, I get laid off, like, I don't know, 25 million other Americans. And um, wanted nothing to do with life in New York City, stuck in an apartment during a pandemic that just sounded like a form of torture for me. Uh, fortunately, my mother lives down in Hilton Head, so that was an easy option. And so I booked it down there around middle of March. And I get down there, and you know, South Carolina is pretty lax with rules, so the golf course is never closed. The beach is like kind of closed, but we were still able to go for walks and hang out. And so I say that because I was essentially just on vacation while all my friends in New York City are stuck up here, up, up in get in their apartments, just getting slammed, haven't been outside in two weeks. And so it just led me down this path of looking for something creative to do and as a way to give back because ultimately I was feeling really, really, really guilty about my situation. Mm. And so, you know, in a normal situation, like I love getting my hands dirty. I think it's common at least in my perspective, people in the tech industry were staring at screens all day. So I love like doing like real like grunt um, charity work, like moving boxes or feeding the homeless. Like that's what I love. But I was, I was cohabitating with my mother at the time and I couldn't get her sick with COVID. So I couldn't really do that. So I had to think about ways that I could do something virtually, but also give back. And so it led me down this path of ultimately um, thinking of doing a charity golf auction. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to start reaching out to my network um, of friends who are either members or head pros at some of the best clubs in the country that I've just met over the years, um, all, you know, playing golf at parties, friends of a friend's, you name it. Um, and just asking them if they would donate a round of golf to support New York City hospital frontline workers who at the time reading out of vending machines. And I just didn't think that was right. And so that, that was really the start, right? And so you know, for, I hustled for about two weeks. I got 20 golf courses to say yes, some really, really good ones, um, including Shinnecock. And we launched it on social media, middle of May of 2020. And the thing just blew up. Um, I received hundreds of messages from people all around the world. Some just saying, thank you for taking the initiative. You know, my family member is a frontline worker and I really appreciate it, which were was like the most incredible thing. I have never been like thanked for doing work before. It was just amazing feeling. Um, and others who were members of some of the sickest courses wanted to donate additional rounds of golf to support the cause. So this thing starts snowballing and snowballing. Um, when I launched it, we had 20 golf courses. When we finished it, we had just shy of 50. So more than half of the rounds were donated from people just on social media, on the internet who found it and were moved by the cause. And so um, this thing starts snowballing and to make a really long story short, which started out as this little side project, I ended up raising over a hundred grand um, for New York City Hospital frontline workers, which equates to over 10,000 meals. So just a staggering, staggering amount. And that's really how it all started. 
And everything since then has just been organic and natural, guys. I can't express it even more than that. So, Eric, you spoke to guilt. I want to touch on that for a second. Was it because you got laid off too, right? Was it the easy transition? Was it the the beaches? What was where was the guilt? Because the guilt seemed to be a pretty big driver for this which is interesting to think of guilt as a really positive thing. But in this case, it kind of built member for a day was kind of built from guilt. If I must say. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it's funny too, because the company that I got laid off from, I had created a, a division that was doing a lot of revenue and didn't get a big severance. So I could sit there and be, you know, really pissed. And I was for a minute, but, you know, I'm a big believer in, in not crying over spilt milk. Um, you look at some of the most successful people on earth and they've failed time and time and time again, and they just keep getting back on the horse. So I just move on very quickly. And yeah, I think it was just, it was guilt because, you know, how lucky am I that my mother lives in Hilton Head? Not only that, but I had a car in New York City. So I could just hop in the car. I didn't have to get a rental car. You know, I own my place. So I didn't have to like find someone to, you know, to store my stuff. Like it, it was just very easy. I just hopped in my car. I called a friend. I said, I'm leaving tomorrow morning. If you want to join, there's a spot for you in the car. I'm gone. And I, 12 hours later, you know, I went from 30 degrees to 70 degrees and I'm playing golf and I'm going to the beach and I'm taking care of my body and my mind. And, you know, we think about, you know, in life, like that, that, like the only reason I had that is because of luck is because of my family. Like that's the, the family I was born into. And so I just, I, it just didn't sit well with me. It almost felt like I wish I could have brought 30 of my friends down to New York city and they could have camped out in tents, like in the yard, like that's what I wanted to do. And so without being able to, to help more of my fan, my friends in New York city get out of New York city um, that guilt was just, it just didn't sit well with me. And to answer your question, it just kept growing. It kept, kept growing. It got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where it was like up to here. And I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, I have to do something to address this. Well, Eric, two things. And I have a friend who's in New York city, you know, single studio apartment, working remote, you know, did it for nine months. And He's like, I've already, he's like, I gotta get out of here. So he signed a sublease in Miami and he said, Matt, in 24 hours, my mental health changed. Oh yeah. You know, and he has every intention to go back to New York, hopefully when it comes back to normal, but that's, it's, it's crazy, right? I mean, these firsthand experiences, you know, uh, what, you, what you needed to get for yourself personally. And then you kind of tweaked it a little bit and said, all right, you know, how can I do how can I build something from this that yeah partying in Miami just doesn't doesn't have the pizzazz now that I'm 36 like it did when I was 21 right. it's funny though because all of my friends uh in New York they're all in Miami right now yeah. it's like it's like pe people in New York didn't realize that there's other places to go like they <laughs> all went to Miami um yeah. but I'm happy they are because to your point yes like sunshine and being able to go outside well, that's what, that's what right. I mean, and another thing you said I found really interesting, you, you mentioned Shinnecock. Like, they picked up the phone, 
they open their doors. Um, places like that usually is not very, you know, super receptive to, you know, those kinds of things. And maybe that's a sign of the times. And we had, I think you have a Link Soul shirt on. We had Matt Janella on recently about, you know, maybe some of the, the, the exclusionary parts of golf, maybe you're opening up a little better, just at least have an ear to the causes in the community. What do you think? Yeah, this is a big, a big conversation. I think the first thing to know is, is I think it's worth telling the story of how the Shinnecock round came to be, because it's really indicative of everything um, that member for day stands for is I was invited to play golf um, at a pretty prestigious course out in Long Island um, two falls ago. This was late fall. So November 1st, like out in Eastern Long Island, cold, windy, um, but just awesome. Like exactly like it felt like we were in Scotland, Ireland. And I was, I got invited by three guys who I've ne who I'd never met before. We, we chatted on Instagram a bunch. So we like knew each other, but we'd never met before. And, um, two of them were, were kind of, um, pretty active on social media. Um, actually one of them was John Cavalier of Lynx Gems. Um, the third guy was just kind of a local cop, um, from the area. And, um, you know, I remember like I was more, I was kind of talking to the other two guys, the front nine. And so I didn't really speak to the other guy, um, the local kind of cop until the back nine. And we just started chatting and I just couldn't believe it because it was 45 degrees and like 30 mile an hour winds. I'll send you guys a picture later. I'm wearing like six layers, a winter <laughs> cap, like high wool socks. This dude is in short sleeves and, his, and shorts. Oh I'm like, God. you're the toughest guy I've ever met in my life. So that's where the conversation started. Um, to this day, I still call him Smoking Joe because he's so hot. Like, there's no other way to describe this guy. Um, but so we just started chatting, and he was so cool and so down to earth. And it turned out that when he was a kid, he caddied at Shinnecock. Hmm. And um, while he's, he's not, he doesn't do it anymore, he still does it every now and then because some of the people who are still members there still want him to caddy for him. It's kind of like this legacy That's thing. That's really and cool. And so basically when, when I had this initiative and when I started it, um, he got wind of it through social media and he just said, do you want me to ask Shinnecock? And I was like, I mean, yeah, but like they're never <laughs> going to say yes. And he called me the night before the auction and he just goes, Shinnecock's in. I was like, wow. Like, okay, yeah. that was like, you, if you, you know, you talk about a moment, you know, like a Malcolm Gladwell tipping point, like that, sure. that was definitely one of them for sure. And, you know, to, to sort of address your question that I think, you know, and this is really important to me is when I, you know, when I'm doing interviews like this, I'm always really clear to make sure people understand why I'm doing this. Ultimately my North star is to raise millions of dollars through charity, through the game of golf. And I think as long as I focus on that, it's hard for the private courses to be against it because mm. we're, this platform is going to change the world in a really positive way. And charity is just the number one focus. And so I'd like to think that even really private um, courses, they can still, you know, open up a little bit when it's raising a substantial amount of money for charity. So I hope it's a sign of things to come. I think private courses are always going to be private and a little um, kind of tough to get in and everything, but I'd like to think that um, 
this will sort of help uh, make it a little bit easier um, going forward. Well, it's just the power of golf, right? I mean, we're a social species. So it's why if Matt bumps into someone uh, on a trip and they say they're born and raised in Chicago, the neighborhood over from where he was, like they're instantly bonded, right? Same thing with golf. And I'm curious, Eric, if you could, we kind of asked you at the beginning of the show, like for yourself, what experience would you create? I'm curious for member for a day, what experience do you think would raise the most money? What's your up on a pedestal, pie in the sky experience that's the dream that you think could raise maybe a million dollars itself? Listen, I mean, like you said before, the ultimate is definitely Augusta National. I mean, that's, that's the one that people kind of put on the pedestal. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, they're obviously really protective of the course and the brand and everything. And I understand that. So, you know, it's a tough one. Um, you know, I think if we go outside of that, you know, around the Tiger Woods, I mean, if, you know, assuming he comes back and he's able to play, God forbid. Um, I mean, geez, how much money would someone pay for a round of golf with Tiger Woods a medalist? It's gotta be close to a million dollars. Yeah. Um, so you know, and, I, and, and it's funny, I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't think that's completely out of the question, you know, I mean, we've already auctioned off around with Ken Griffey Jr. All right, we're like, we're getting, you know, we're getting kind of upper echelon of baseball at that point, yeah. you know, that's to, to, you know, that's the round that, um, so far, the round that we've sold for the most amount of money was around with, with Griffey at Grove 23, went for $22,000 for one round. I don't know if I've seen Ken Griffey Jr.'s golf swing, but oh, I have so. to imagine the follow-through is pretty. It's sweet. Yeah, it's exactly as you'd expect. Because he kind of had the the swinging up motion anyways, kind of like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, all right, I'm going to have to look for, I'm sure there's a video of it somewhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Okay. It's that same sweet, smooth swing. Ken Griffey Jr. baseball, N64. What oh. a game. <laughs> I love that game. Um, his circle's like this large. You like literally couldn't miss. Yeah. Jeff Bagwell's is pretty good too. Um, yeah. <laughs> Eric, talk about um, some of the courses that I guess that you, you have contact with that are in the program, so to speak. It, it, is the focus really all across states, like all regions? Um, do you try to pair that up potentially with anything to do with the geography of the charities or the causes like are you in the deep south? Are you in the far northwest? Um, curious. Yeah, so I guess that question sort of gets at, you know, how our platform works. So the way yeah. that it works is, and most people might not actually know this, is the golf courses, the rounds of golf are actually um, accumulated, organized by the nonprofits. So when I um, speak to the American Cancer Society or the American Heart Association or any other organization, small, large, medium, um, they use their existing network of donors um, to basically figure out who's a member of a great golf course. I mean, if you think about, you know, nonprofits, they have donors. Donors are, are obviously have means. They're able to donate money to a cause of their choice. A lot of people with means belong to nice private golf courses. And so it's not so much of a stretch. And so the golf courses to, to you know, 
I, I don't really have control over that. I certainly, um, you know, guide them and a lot of the nonprofits have like, you know, I'll get, I got an email a couple weeks ago from an organization that has no idea about golf. And they were like, is this place good? It was myopia hunt club. I'm like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> like this place is amazing. You know, I, another one like Kinlock. I'm like, yeah, it's top 100. Like, you know, these, these, a lot of these organizations just don't know. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of the guide to help them along to make them understand what's, what, what are we looking for versus kind of just like the run of the mill public courses. Um, you know, they're definitely geographically focused. Like last week we did an auction for the Mac fund, um, which supports pediatric cancer research in Wisconsin. They're just, I could, they're one of the best organizations. Like if you live in Wisconsin, like everyone knows the Mac fund because they are really connected to professional sports. So a lot of their courses were around that area, but at the same point they had Sage Valley and Calusa Pines and courses all over the place, but there was definitely a focus in Wisconsin and the Midwest. So, but again, it, it, it's just about the donor network. So yes, if an organization is based in a certain area, it's more likely that their donors will be there as well. Um, but you never know because friends of a friend, they could be members anywhere. So tell it's us cool. about the auction, especially since we're on Instagram Live. Tell us about the auction right now. Uh, we've seen it. There's a lot of exciting people that you could play with, especially in the golf media space. Tell people about that. Yeah, so this one's a little different. So most auctions that we do, we're auctioning off a round where you can play at some point in the next 12 months. And so the way it works is you coordinate with the host and you figure out a time to play. <clears throat> what we're doing this week is, is a bit of a test. And, and I'll, I, I, Evan, I think I told you this before, everything I think of with Member for a Day is just a test. We're always trying new things. Um, some things stick, some things don't. Um, we're working with Tom Coyne, you know, famous golf, uh, golf writer, some of my favorite books of all time. Guy just walks around countries and plays golf, like pretty much living all of our dreams. Um, his latest book is a course called America. Spoiler alert, he did not walk America. Um, that would have taken way too much time, but he did play in every state um, and he wrote a book about it. And his launch party or his book launch is also a golf tournament. Surprise, surprise. Um, and so it's at Rolling Green on May 24th. Rolling Green is an awesome golf course. It's a William Flynn design. I had the pleasure of playing it a couple of years ago before they took out all the, uh, like a whole bunch of trees. So it's going to be a completely new experience for me. Um, I actually consider it the best routing I've ever seen in my life. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very tight piece of property and I don't think, I, I think if you had any architect in the world, they couldn't have done a better routing than what Flynn did. Um, what state is it in? It's, a, it's just outside Philly. Just outside Philly. Yeah, so it's a Philadelphia-based course. And so on May 24th, um, we're having the Tom Coyne, a course called America book launch event. And basically all of Tom's friends are going there. There's a bunch of guys um, from No Laying Up, uh, Shane Bacon, uh, Gil Hans, uh, Patrick Koenig, John Cavalier, Matt Cardis, Christian Hafer. And so what we're doing, um, it's in support of the J.W. Platt's uh, Caddy Scholarship Foundation, amazing organization connected to GAP, which is the Golf Association of Philadelphia. Um, and you can basically bid to play with these guys in the tournament. So this one's a little different, right? You can't play anytime in 12 months. It's just on May 24th. 
but this event is going to be killer. Like the golfers journals guys are going to be there. Titleist is going to be there. There's going to be like global closest to the pin, like after the party, like it's going to be awesome. And so I'm going to be there. We've the last I looked, I haven't checked this morning, but we've raised already over $11,000. Um, I think there's, so there's either six or seven pairings. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just going to be such a fun day. I can't wait. I love group you got. Yeah. So Eric, you, you spoke to one story earlier. I think everyone loves stories. Um, I'm curious what has been one, two most touching stories. Cause look, you're, you're touching a lot of different pieces here, right? You're touching people that might have an amazing experience that win an auction. You're working with organizations and charities to give back. There could be stories from people that have received donations from what you're doing. It could be helping a charity raise money. What are they doing with the money? Like what has been like the moment where you're like, wow, it was all, all of these late nights. It's all worth it because of the story that someone just shared with me. Great question. And I, and it leads to, um, lots of, lots of sort of, uh, you know, other things I want to talk about. Um, but you know, when I think about raising this money, it's, it's one thing to raise the money. It's a whole nother thing to then show the impact of, where that money is going and so you know it, it takes a, a bunch of time for the money to come in and then the money to go to the charity and then for the charity to then use that capital um, to make the community better and so um, one of our first auctions we did was with a group called the Hart Brothers um, in just outside Boston and they work with heart failure patients um, specifically around the cost because it's so expensive and so we raised about, I don't know, like $50,000 for them. They're a pretty small organization. And just a couple of weeks ago, they sent me an article um, essentially showing some of the work that they've done with the money, um, which was they rented two apartments in downtown Boston so that the families of the heart failure patients can visit their you know, husband, son, daughter, whatever, um, free of charge in downtown Boston, because at times heart failure patients are in the hospital for a long time. And so just to see the, that's really the first time we've seen that full cycle and to see the impact, it's just a sign of things to come. And it's a sign of like where we're going um, in the future. It kind of hit on, it was, you know, just where the money goes with charity. Right. And there's obviously a process. And as we've always heard from certain people or, you know, they struggle with big charities because they don't, know where the money's going right or they don't know when it's getting there how it's getting there is it really why i would is it really why i'm behind this cause um, or sometimes you know people or organizations like to you know give to somebody like an individual who's out on the street right um so, so, so maybe talk about that i mean I, I can't imagine there's been roadblocks on your end but 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 it's it's always part of the conversation and how you kind of how you're innovating and fielding those questions you know uh, curious yeah, I think there's a few parts to this. The first part is that it's really important for us as the platform to make sure that we're only working with really, really good charities. So that's first and foremost. And so we do our research, 
you know, we're going to check on chat, Charity Navigator or GuideStar to see the information, you know, potentially look at financials. Everything in, in the nonprofit space is public, um, which, which is, is good for transparency, it's, it's, but it's also, it, it, it's challenging. There's a lot of bureaucracies of 501c3s and it, it sort of limits innovation. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, with that said, in the sort of fundraising space, which is kind of where, I'm, where I am, yeah, there's not a lot of transparency. And so oftentimes the money is raised and that's it. Yeah. You know? And you have no idea if it's, it's ending up in you know, a bank account that's just funding someone's personal endeavors or whatnot. And so you know, where I see this going and what I'm spending a lot of time on these days is building the, the, the blocks to create really compelling content showing mm -hmm. the impact, basically showing where the money is going, you know, and, you know, I, I use the example of the Hart brothers, but, you know, we're, we're, you know, there's a there's so many stories, right? They're endless. Like the organizations I'm working with are incredible. And so to then to be able to say, Hey, remember that hundred thousand dollars we raised, you know, this, that money went to build this well in Africa so these people can have fresh water, right? Like that's, that's the stuff that I'm really excited about. And um, both from a transparency perspective, but also just creating really compelling content. Um, and so we're spending more and more time there. It's certainly outside of my comfort level. You know, I'm a, I'm a biz dev guy. I ran biz dev for tech companies for 10 years. So I'm really good at growing tech companies. I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to creating media. But it's, I know that's, that's where, that's the right place to go. I've pulled, you know, my followers on social media and they like, I think it was like 92% was like, yes, we want to see stories of where this money is going. So that was really exciting to see. I think it's, yeah, no, that's great. I mean, so I'm in Chicago and Chicago is a huge philanthropic town. It's like the kind of the small, smallest big city out there. And you see more organizations, you know, obviously develop, you know, delivering great content at the actual dinner event, right? But then also staying in touch, you know, like, you know, and showing, hey, here's where your donation went. And, you know, I think it's important. I'm just, so I'm just kind of curious kind of what you're hearing and seeing and how it's moving forward. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's crucial. It's, it's everything. And it's, yeah. it's really what I stand for as a brand that I want everyone. I just, I want to be as transparent as humanly possible. And again, just create like super, super cool content around that. For sure. Yeah. And Eric, we talked about this a little last week um, when we connected, but I think you're making charity a no brainer. And I think we saw this trend with the all in challenge. We talked about that a little bit uh, off air last time we talked about how it's kind of funny, right? Like, as people, as human beings, the one time that we and look, I don't want to speak for everyone. I'm sure some, a lot of people are do charity stuff, but the vast majority of people, whether it's their own means or they got their own problems, like not many people have the means to donate. But when you say that you can play golf with Ken Griffey Jr. or uh, you know, co-host a show with Ellen, like in the All In Challenge, people are willing to donate like a hundred plus bucks. Right. And so it's funny how I'm seeing, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on this movement of 
you almost make it a no-brainer. Make it a no-brainer for people. Give them a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and also have the win-win situation of that money going to help people in need. Yeah, I think a lot of it is the trend we're seeing around less stuff and more experiences, Mm. which is really, really, really important to me. So very rarely will you see stuff being auctioned off on member for a day. It's all experiences. And that's all I care about. And I think that's pretty much what a lot of people sort of in our demographic care about too, which is awesome. And that makes me so happy. And so, you know, ultimately when we look back 50 years from now, when we're, you know, in an old rocking chair, you know, talking about our life, we're not going to talk about like the stuff we bought. We're going to be talking about going to Sand Hills, Nebraska with our buddies and like being out there without our phones and stuff. And so, you know, I, I think that creating opportunities for people to play golf courses that they wouldn't otherwise be able to is a no brainer in itself. You layer on charity on top of that, um, for good causes. And also don't forget, they get a tax write off for that because mm-hmm. it's charity. Um, it's like a triple no brainer. And so we're definitely seeing that it's also from the nonprofit side, it's a no brainer. And I wanted to make sure to highlight this as well. You know, COVID has been really difficult on nonprofits. I was just texting with a friend last night. His brother runs a nonprofit. Their revenue is down 70%, 7-0, right? They can't do galas. They can't like, yeah, I guess you can do like some, some places you can do golf tournaments, but a lot of them were canceled last year. And so I know some huge organizations that are focused entirely on virtual fundraising for 2021. So, you know, the member for a day platform just works really, really well for that. And so I think a lot of that has to do with our growth. Matt, you mentioned before that we're, you know, we're just about to cross the million dollars raised for charity threshold. It's because every nonprofit I speak to wants to work with us because yeah. they are getting crushed right now. Right. And here I come as a new and innovative platform and they just say, and, and just so you know, like, I don't charge any upfront fees. We just, it's basically like kind of GoFundMe model. We take a you know percentage of the raise. Mm-hmm. So they're like, all right. So if we raise nothing, you get nothing. I'm like, yep, that's yeah. exactly right. It was a total crossroads and it's just kind of a win-win, right? Yeah. And listening to you talk, Eric, about what you're doing, it makes me think about the PGA Tour and the game of golf. Golf's a gentleman's game. Golf's about integrity. The PGA Tour I think still leads with most charitable donations. I mean, you think about all the players and all their foundations and what the tour does and it's incredible. And then you're kind of just extending that, right. And humanizing that. Um, And I think that's, that's fascinating and powerful and, 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 and continues to kind of, you know, move the game in the charitable world forward, you know, and just letting people get to that. And I don't know, I just wanted to share that with you. And I think it's incredible. Yeah, we, um, the PGA Tour is, um, will, I should say, will hopefully be a very big partner for us going forward. I mean, the PGA Tour is, is a nonprofit. Um, every tournament has a charitable aspect to it, right? Um, World Golf Hall of Fame is a nonprofit. The First Tee is obviously a nonprofit. Um, so the PGA Tour is, is definitely on our radar. We've had conversations with them and, you know, they, they love what we're doing. 
Um, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because you're right. The PGA tour always leads with like, you know, we're doing this for charity and this for charity, but it's a little different when you're tooting your own horn horn versus an independent platform like member for a day, where we're going to basically kind of almost be that community that resonates that, that shares all those stories and, and messages independently. Yeah. And, um, so we're able to then create content, you know, what we think are the best stories, um, which definitely will include, you know, PGA tour type things. Cause they are raising tons of money. And I think being that they are nonprofits is fantastic, but you're still right. Is that, and again, I can't stress this enough. Like, cause you know, we're having these conversations now and it's like, oh yeah. Like I, you know, I wrote a business plan on that like a year ago. Like I knew all this, like I knew none of this, right? Like I knew the PGA tour was a nonprofit. When I did that COVID auction, I didn't think about this stuff. I just did a COVID auction. It was really successful. And then from there, it sort of just started growing. But it just turned out that for a multitude of reasons that it's, it, it's a really nice opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. This, is, uh, this goes a little deep, so bear with me. But um, the, I think it's, <laughs> Matt's going to laugh because I love this stuff. But uh, this is interesting because there's actually a lot of parallels with what I do professionally, Eric is part of my business that I do outside of the par train is uh, I help companies manage stress, right? And we run corporate trainings. And um, one of the exercises we do in that training is talking about um, hindsight bias and reverse engineering hindsight bias. Um, and what you just said struck a chord with me because that's how life is. If you ask Anyone you know, 99% of people, if you ask them, what was a really painful, stressful time in your life? I guarantee you nine out of 10 of them, give it a year, will say, that was one of the best things that ever happened to me, mm. right? And if we operate out of the understanding that things have a way of working themselves out, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. There's a lot of pain right now. There's a lot of stress right now. But it's probably opening me up for something bigger than I can even imagine. Just look at your story, right? And so I want to say that because I think your story is a good reminder for everyone that, look, I got laid off too, and that led to me launching my business, and I've been happier than I've ever been. And so whether it's a layoff, whether it's a death in the family, whether it's a breakup, whether it's depression, whatever it is. To me, the only bad thing that can come out of it is not learning from it. And so I, I think your story can serve as a, as a reminder for that. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack on this. I think the first is that COVID was an opportunity like we'll probably never see again in our life because the world hit the proverbial pause button. And so I actually joked about this with a friend a couple months ago, but FOMO no longer existed because no one was doing anything. Yeah. Right. So like, which is kind of a really empowering thing for a lot of people who like yeah. really have FOMO, where it's like, okay, I can like just focus on me and do what mm -hmm. I want. Um, listen, some people, you know, chose just to spend those COVID times, just like, you know, watching Netflix and eating bonbons and like, you know, that like, okay, like that's your choice. Um, but a lot of people took it as a time to like reassess and, and just kind of figure out what do I want to do with this time? That was key for me. I stopped thinking about what can I do to get a job? And I started thinking, how do I want to spend my time? What, you know, what do I want to do that I'll enjoy? Not just like, you know, 
networking and applying for jobs and like doing what society tells me. I just decided just to just do the things that felt right and that brought me happiness and joy. I think the other part of this is life is not a straight line. For some people, it could appear that way. You know, we all know those people that work on Wall Street, retire in 30 years, buy a house in the suburbs of a white picket fence and a golden retriever. But what I've noticed is the most interesting people that I've met in my life have very, their life is like this. It goes up and down and around. And what I've noticed about them and even in my own experience is anytime you're down here, it's not going to be that bad. And anytime you're up here, it's not going to be as good. And also they don't last that long. So when you're up here, just know that it's not going to last that long and appreciate it. And when you're down here, know that it's also not going to last that long and better things are coming down the future. And I think just understanding both of those perspectives is so important, especially in entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is the hardest thing we can ever do. Nobody's here to help us. You know, like I'm on an island out here. Yes, I have a co-founder like you do, um, who, who is, is such so helpful, but I don't have benefits. I don't have, you know, an HR team. I don't have anyone looking over me. It's just me. And I remember I learned this lesson very early when I was like 24, I started a company. And I remember waking up one day, I think I had maybe gone out the night before, probably stayed out a little too late. And I just like laid in bed and I was like, ah, I just don't feel like working today. You know what? Nothing happened that day. And that was such an important lesson of my life, especially in business that when you're an entrepreneur, if you're not moving the company forward, the company doesn't move forward. You're not just like this little cog in this massive, you know, I've worked for companies that have 10,000 people. I could just sit there and do nothing all day and the company would do exactly the same, right. pretty much. Yep. And so um, I think, you know, when we talk about entrepreneurship, that lesson is so, so, so important that, you know, just appreciate the highs and just know that those lows they're not going to last forever. And that pendulum is going to swing back. Eric, it's not, you, 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 ha, you hit the reset button, you hit the refresh button and you've kind of found new purpose in your life. So we talk a lot about the mental game on this show as it relates to golf. And you alluded, you were playing some good golf, but has this, this tweak in your life and this newfound purpose helped your golf game too? I mean, it, it made you think about golf differently. And because um, a lot of what we you know, talk about with our guests is how, how, you know, life and correlates with golf because it is the most mental and frustrating and challenging sport. And you're a great player. You're a five handicap, but we know why when we play bad, it's because of our, our life or our day, or our weeks is not the right place. So yeah. we, we, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta ask. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's two parts of this. The first is that one thing I've noticed is, and I kind of expected this because everyone says this, is when you start working in golf, you know, you end up playing less. And I don't know if it's not, I think the reason it is for me is because golf is no longer quite the same escape as it was. Because if I'm playing golf, I'm thinking about golf. If I'm thinking about golf, I'm thinking about member for a day, and then I'm thinking about work. And so it's, it's a little close to home. And so it's not quite the escape. So, you know, I've been spending a lot more time going for hikes um, yeah. to kind of escape. Um, so that's the first thing. But as it relates to my actual game, 
there's no question that when your life, you know, career, family, relationships, living situation are good, you play better golf. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm now living in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, we're about to cross a million dollars raised for charity. Um, have met some awesome people out in the desert here. Like everything's really good. And so because of that, I just have this very free feeling when I'm on the course. I also, I kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, I just don't care about score these days. I just care about hitting good shots and being with good people. And funny enough, when you think like that, you end up usually playing well, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's all, like, I am so past the days of getting mad and like throwing a club and all that stuff. It's like, I'm playing golf. And like, let's like, let alone in March. Yeah, or in a great courses, right? But even, but you know, I played Goat Hill in San Diego last week, which is, you know, favorite of of social media. It's like, you know, 15 bucks to play. Like, and I I like didn't really play that great, but I didn't care. I was playing Goat Hill with friends and it's February. Like, just taking in the experience. Just, just, just in being present, being with the people around me and just enjoying it. Like, we are playing golf. It's a game. We're outside in beautiful pieces of land, hopefully in pretty good weather. It's like, who? I'm not going to look back and, and think, oh, I shot an 82 at Goat Hill or whatever it was. Like, I'm going to think, man, I had a great time with those three guys. I can't wait to play with them again. And so yep. that's been really freeing for me. And there's no question has allowed me to play better golf lately. Great. Last question for you before we let you go. Um, we know you've got you're planning a TV show to bring people closer to uh, these experiences. To your point about showing people where the money went, um, and also spreading awareness for Member for a Day, so that you can raise more money in the future. Where do you see Member for a Day in a year? Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, you know, I I view this. You know, nonprofit fundraising is through the game of golf is going to be our core. We're always going to do that. And that's going to be kind of like the essence of what we are, but there's going to be so many stories coming about it that there's no question. We're almost going to turn into like a media company, Um, whether it's, you know, doing quick snippets of just showing the impact of the money that was raised to, you know, me like doing road trip style, digital TV series, um, showing the, the cross section of golf and charity and showing what I like to call like the, the good side of the game of golf and everything that's good. Um, you know, I think in a post COVID world, we will be doing events. There's no question about it. You know, it's, it's awesome to build a virtual community like you guys know, but I want to meet these people. I want to mingle yeah. with them and I can't wait until that, that happens. And so, you know, I just, when I think of a year from now, we will be producing a ton of really, really cool content. We'll be raising millions of dollars and we'll be able to connect in real life as well as um, virtually. So that's where I see it a year from now. Big Love things it. coming. Well, maybe we could do a par train member for a day event. You yes. know, maybe we need to work together a little bit. I love that. I'm Love in. It. Sweet. Well, Eric, this was awesome. I think yeah, there's great. so many takeaways. And guys, if you're not already following Eric, follow him at, at member for a day. That's the number four. 
if or on Instagram and then member for a day spelled out.com. Is there anything else you want to leave people with that we didn't get a chance to cover that you make sure you want to say? No, that's it. Um, like, you know, like you just said, the best way to follow is I'm really active on Instagram and that's where we promote all of our, our auctions. Um, the, the next couple months are going to be really, really busy for us. Um, we're going to be doing a ton of auctions with some incredible nonprofits um, leading up to master's week and hopefully beyond. So um, yeah, just brace yourselves because there's going to be a lot coming. Let's go. <laughs> well, we'll be rooting for you and we're happy to help however we can Absolutely. spread the word. So thanks for coming on, Eric. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. We should have you back. Give for us sure. Anytime. Thanks. All right. Take care. Appreciate it.